Thank you so much, Gabe and Brandy. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this past week, uh, this past week, I had a very unpleasant exchange with someone. And uh, while I'm usually able to stay calm in such situations and maintain my dignity and avoid getting into, you know, a shouting match, this person actually wound up pressing all my, you know, all the right buttons, and I got angry. And I said some things in anger. Uh, what most of you know about me is that I have, I've done this on occasion, but here's what else you know about me. Virtually every time that I've done this, you've heard about it, because I tell you about it in one of my sermons, just as I am doing this morning in this sermon. It's a it's great, great way to start off the sermon, because it seems like I have everyone's attention a little more than, than uh, usual. Uh, well, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this particular incident, but I'll give you enough juicy details to, to, to keep you engaged. How's that? Here's what happened. Someone I had known for years, um, I doubt any of you know this person. They've never been a part of our church, so, so you can stop trying to guess. Uh, but, but someone I've known for years accused me of being dishonest and manipulative over an extremely minor issue that I was not even directly involved with. Someone else committed a very minor offense, though it could be argued that they were acting on my behalf. Uh, but, but if I told you what the offense was, virtually everybody here would agree that this was an extremely minor uh, offense. Um, kind of in the same category as accidentally stepping over someone's property line property that they that they don't even occupy and i was not even the one who stepped over uh the line uh, i know you're dying to know more sorry to disappoint you uh, but this individual sent me a series of texts uh, accusing me of lying and of intentionally causing harm while hiding behind my title of a christian pastor so i called this person on the phone because as a general rule, I, I don't have conversations of this na nature over text or email. And, and I began by saying, you seem to have some concerns. And they immediately responded by getting very personal and um, uh, very insulting, verbally abusive. So I, I pushed back a little, and then they pushed back, and I pushed back, and then they pushed back, and I pushed back. And each time there was pushback, the volume and intensity rose just a little bit. Uh, and then I, then I hung up on him. Uh, but I, I, I never reached the point where I was speaking uh, to them disrespectfully or were, were verbally abusive to them. But I did reach a point where I, where I was speaking in anger. And I did angrily hang up on them. Now, you want to know how many times in my life that I've hung up on someone? Honestly, I think that may have been the very first time. Probably not, but maybe. I, I, I just don't hang up on people, especially on purpose, uh, except if I was on hold for an inordinate amount of time with customer service, in which case I have hung up on people dozens of times. But that may very well have been the first time I've ever hung up with someone that I was actually on the phone with. Now, I'm not proud that I hung up on this person. And I am definitely not proud that I allowed myself to get into an angry altercation with somebody. But a lot of people would argue that my response to him was justified. 
Some, some may even argue that it would have been better if I had become verbally abusive in response and, and unloaded on, on him a barrage of witty, cutting insults that left him totally humiliated and speechless, as if I had anything even close to the ability to pull something like that off. It, it might have been what he deserved, and it would have sent the message, don't mess with me, bro. But the reality is, most of us here and most of us listening to me right now, they have some sense of conviction. You have some sense of conviction that that would not have been the best thing to do and that even allowing myself to get angry and defensive and, and to hang up on him was not the best way to respond in that situation. I mean, because we know Jesus said things like, bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse in return. And, and Paul said, never return evil for evil, but always return evil for good. Yeah, right, Jim. Yeah, right, Pastor Jim. But who really does that? Who really lives that way? People who have committed themselves to following Jesus. That's who. And I am one of those people. Now, is my point in all this to highlight how I failed as a Jesus follower and beat myself up and walk around uh, with my head down carrying a load of guilt and shame for the next week or so? No, of course not. Actually, my point is to illustrate today how I missed a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, a wonderful opportunity to put somebody in their place. No, not that wonderful opportunity. I missed an opportunity to, be, to become a better person a bigger person, a happier person, a more loving person, a person who does not let the petty insults of someone else who may be dealing with some issue of their own not let them get to me, not let them control me and my emotions and my behavior. See, because at the point that I became angry, I gave that person power over me. Moments earlier, I was having a good day. I was content and at peace and enjoying my day. But after that exchange, I was angry and not at peace and feeling threatened and thoughts, of, uh, thoughts and feelings of resentment and hostility were flooding through me. And it was several hours, I'm embarrassed to say, before I was finally able to regain some sense of peace and resume enjoying my day. See, I missed an opportunity to become a better person a stronger person, a more self-controlled person, and consequently, a happier, more peace-filled person. I missed an opportunity to change. But I don't need to be discouraged and beat myself up over that missed opportunity because in the world that we live in, such opportunities present themselves continually, don't they? Multiple times a day, sometimes even on a larger scale than what I just described to you, but most of the time on a much smaller scale. Many, many opportunities every single day to become a stronger, better, happier, more loving person. So how many of those opportunities are you seizing every single day? How many of those opportunities are you even noticing every single day? We're beginning a new series today called Thinking for a Change. 
If you're like most people, there are things about you that you wish you could change, perhaps something as simple as maybe your your physical appearance, uh, or maybe it's a habit that you've wrestled with, maybe it's something about your temperament, or maybe even something about your personality. You know, some of us foolishly wish we could change something about ourselves that God actually intentionally created you with and intends for you to embrace as a gift, a gift, you know, to yourself and perhaps a gift to other people. There are some things we might want to change about ourselves foolishly, things that are actually good things, strengths, assets, even though we may not not always see them that way. Perhaps in those cases, the change we should be seeking and desiring is a change in our own attitude and perception about those things rather than seeing them as a curse. We, We need to learn how to embrace them and see them as the gifts they actually are. A very extreme uh, but very powerful example of this is someone who has visited Hope in the past, a man named Nick Vujicic. Nick was born with no arms and no legs. As you might imagine, for a large part of his life, he resented not having any arms and legs. And, and I mean, it was to the point where he wished he had not been born and even tried ending his life at 12 years old. But there came a point in his life where he began to realize that while God may not have, for reasons that we may not be able to understand at this particular point, while God may not have have given him arms and legs, God gave him many, many other wonderful, beautiful gifts, including the gift of life itself. And he began to focus on developing those gifts. And as a result... He has become someone who has brought hope and inspiration to countless millions of people all over the world in a way that no one else could ever possibly bring. Now, if it were possible, would Nick want to change the fact he had no arms and legs? I honestly don't know the answer to that question, but my guess would be, yeah, he would want, he would want to have arms and legs if that were possible. And you can be completely certain that one day he most assuredly will have arms and legs if not in this life, for sure, in the life to come. But it was his lack of arms and legs that provided the opportunity for him to deeply touch so many millions of hearts and lives all over the world. And it was his decision to seize the opportunity to change his thinking about his disability that resulted in so much good, so much happiness and joy in his own life but also in the lives of countless others. The prayer of serenity begins with this sentence, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's a great prayer. You know, there there are some things we wish we could change about ourselves that, that God, you know, essentially says to us, as he said to Paul, you know, Paul, who, who asked God to remove a thorn in the flesh. He called it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. Some think it may have been a physical disability, perhaps an eye condition. We don't know. But we do know that God denied Paul's request for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. And he simply said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, so there are some things we, we might wish we could change about ourselves 
that God may very well say, you know what, I, I'm going to say no. I intend to work in and through that area of your life if you will yield that, that to me and trust me in that. My grace is sufficient for you. However, there are many things that I wish I could change about myself, which are also things that God wants to empower me, me to change about myself. I, I want to become a more patient person, a more disciplined person. I want to become less anxious and fearful, more confident and courageous. I want to not, be not so enslaved by and controlled by my desires and my appetites, my appetite for food, my appetite for pleasure, my, my appetite for comfort and ease or, or for stuff, you know, just for things, material goods. I want to become the kind of person who knows how to be happy with less. As the saying goes, that man is richest whose pleasures are cheapest. I want to learn how to be happy, content, fulfilled, and even complete when certain other people aren't so much happy, aren't so very happy with me. I, I want to be less dependent on the approval and the validation of others, people, for my own happiness. You know, not, not like in a way like, you know, oh, oh, oh so you don't like me, huh? You, you don't approve of me? You don't respect me? Well, you can just, you can just go, you, you can just go to, you can go to L L.A. I, I, I didn't want to say hell because that would be inappropriate in church, but L.A. is pretty much the same thing, right? Um, but, but responding that way reveals that even though I may be saying that I don't care what they think about me, I obviously still very much care what they think about me, as is evidenced by the fact that I am so, so bothered that they don't think about me the way I think they should think about me. No, see, I, I want to become the kind of person who is able to respond, oh, you, you don't like me? You don't approve of me? You don't respect me? Well, I still respect you. And, and, and I, I will treat you with dignity. And in fact, I will even love you. I, I'm going to contend for your highest good, though I will not allow my joy, my peace, my, content, uh, my contentment to be subject to your opinion of me. I'll st I'm still going to love you. See, I, I want to be a person who is able to consistently, genuinely respond that way in those situations. I want to have that kind of self-control and love and wisdom and compassion and confidence and humility and peace. And, and yeah, it, it is a packaged deal. All those qualities and virtues come packaged together along with great contentment and fulfillment, which we'll talk about uh, more a, a little bit later. But, but here's what I want to focus on right now. We have so many, many opportunities every day to become more like that kind of person. Opportunities every day to change to become a better person and consequently a more happy, more peace-filled person. In fact, the title of my message today is Opportunity Knocks Constantly. Opportunity to grow, to change, to become a better person. The question is, how many of those opportunities do you seize or even recognize? 
My guess is that most of us fail to recognize the vast majority of these opportunities every day, opportunities to grow, to become a better person, and we fail to recognize those opportunities because we, we just think that, you know, my anger, my hostility, my being annoyed, my being upset or outraged, well, that's just normal. That, that's just natural. That's how anyone would respond in that situation. In fact, it is justified. In fact, let's go a step further. I would be weak if I did not respond aggressively and with great hostility and outrage in that situation. See, this is the thinking in the world today. The thinking is curse those who curse you. And not just curse them, but humiliate them, mock them, and demonize them. Ruin them. You're justified. Don't get mad. Get even. They deserve it. And you're justified because, after all, they cut you off in traffic. They posted something you didn't agree with. They expressed an opinion you didn't like. They had 16 items in their basket when the sign clearly says, limit 15 items. And if you don't call, it out, call them out on it, you're just gonna, they're just going to keep doing it, and then more people are going to do it, and before long, the whole world is going to devolve into this lawless chaos. So somebody's got to put those people on notice, right? See, we normalize, we normalize toxic, our, our toxic feelings and responses to the things we're bothered by, and that's what those are. They're toxic feelings and responses. We normalize and even justify those feelings and reactions, and as a result, we fail to see them as the opportunity they are to become a better person, a happier person, a person who is way more pleasant to be around, a person who actually breaks the cycle of hostility and resentment in the world instead of perpetuating that cycle. See, if you're not recognizing the many, many opportunities every single day to become a better person, it's likely because you've normalized your toxic responses to those negative situations that, and, and encounters in your day-to-day -day life. Instead of normalizing those feelings, responses, and behaviors, we need to train ourselves, and this is what today's about, we need to train ourselves to see them as the opportunities they are to grow, to change, to become a better person. Many opportunities every single day. This is, why, this is what Paul meant when he wrote in his letter to the Christians living in Rome in the first century. This is what, this is what he meant when he, when he wrote this. Do not conform to this world. Don't be like the world, okay? Don't be like the world. God is calling us to not be like the world. But be transformed, changed. Be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Paul here gives us a secret to seeing the change in our lives that we really want to see but seem powerless over. Here's another translation of that same verse. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How do you allow God to transform you into a new person? You've got to change the way you think. Now, this is so radical. The vast majority of people fail to see just how radically powerful this really is. In fact, most people fail to grasp even the reality that you can change the way you think. 
that you can think differently and see things differently. You can change your perspective and reframe virtually any situation, seeing it in a different light. Because God has given you a powerful mind equipped with the ability to look at things from many different perspectives and angles and not just be a prisoner to the idea, well, there's just no other way to look at this situation than the way I'm looking at it right now. We, we do ourselves a great disservice when we stubbornly choose to think this way. You deny yourself opportunities and possibilities, and you lock yourself in a prison of your own making. But even the simple decision, the simple choice to acknowledge that there may be a different way to look at things, there may be a different way to think about that situation or that problem, or that, that thing that somebody said to you or said about you, you know, just acknowledging there may be a different perspective or a different way to look at that situation, a different way to see it or interpret it. Just acknowledging that possibility opens up uh, uh, doors of, of new opportunity for you and new possibilities for you, especially the possibility and the opportunity to grow and to change and become a better, happier person. But how? How do you do this? Because, you know, most of our thoughts just tend to be kind of automatic, don't they? Especially when there is some degree of emotion attached to those thoughts. Emotions of fear or anxiety or anger or feeling threatened. They're just automatic. Well, that, and that's, you know, part of the problem. That's, that's the primary problem, actually. They are automatic because you've allowed those thoughts to just go unchallenged all your life. You've put up little to no resistance to those toxic thoughts, those angry thoughts, those hostile, resentful, bitter thoughts. They just become so normalized that you don't even notice them anymore. That doesn't mean they aren't wreaking havoc on you or your relationships or your family or your marriage or your job. No, but sadly, that has, is being normalized as well. The havoc is being normalized. You've even perhaps grown comfortable with the havoc and the dysfunction and the toxicity because that's all you've really ever known. This is what Jesus meant when he said to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. He says, you don't realize how, how wretched and miserable you are. What, what an interesting thing to say. You don't realize how miserable and wretched you are. You've grown comfortable with misery, with toxicity, with dysfunction and disorder, so much so that you can't even imagine what it would be like to live a life of freedom and health and genuine joy and peace. See, God is calling you and me to a much better place, a healthier, happier place. But so often we choose the comfort of the familiar, as miserable and dysfunctional as the familiar may be, we choose that over the discomfort of, of a call to embrace something new, fresh and alive, the, the discomfort of change. And I should qualify. We're talking about change in the right direction and not in the wrong direction, which typically means a change on the inside of you personally, not so much a change in your circumstances. See, we often pray for God to change our circumstances. But more often than not, God intends to use your circumstances to change you. And he does it by inviting us and empowering us, but not forcing us, but empowering us to think differently about our circumstances. We must learn to think differently. 
And Paul tells us how to do it. In his letter to the Christians living in Corinth, he writes this. And this, there's a lot here. Um, I'm going to focus on one part of this. We'll probably come back to this verse a little bit later in this series. But this is what he says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We'll talk about that more later. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, strongholds of of thinking and thought attitudes and and toxic thought we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of christ and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ we take every thought captive what does that mean to take every thought captive when i was a kid i used to like to go outside at dusk and and capture all kinds of critters, insects, frogs, snakes, all kinds of critters, and put them in a jar or a terrarium so that I could study them. I could look at them from all different angles, and then I'd take them out of the jar, and then I'd poke them, prod them a little bit, and then put them back in the jar so I could study them some more. This is, I think, kind of what Paul meant when he said to take every thought, cap, take it and put it, put it in a jar. Grab hold of that thought, capture it, and put it, so to speak, in a jar so that you could study it and analyze it. He means that we should think about our thinking. Examine our thoughts. Become a student of our thoughts. Don't just automatically let potentially toxic thoughts into your brain and into your emotions, you know, so that they dictate your responses and your reactions unchecked. Don't let them be so automatic. No, capture them and then examine them. Did you know that God created a part of your brain that is specifically designed for this purpose? Your prefrontal cortex is a part of your brain that actually lets you step outside of yourself and examine your thoughts as if you were looking at your thoughts from the vantage point of a third person so that you are literally questioning and studying your thoughts. Why am I thinking this thought or experiencing these emotions? Why why did those thoughts come flooding into my mind when they did that or when that happened? Or, Or, you know, why are these thoughts I'm thinking even even coming at me the way they are? Are they are they an accurate reflection of reality? Do these thoughts line up with the thinking of Christ, you know, the mind of Christ? Or am I just allowing my emotions to cloud my thinking and drown out whatever Jesus might be wanting to tell me in this situation? See, listen, we're talking about being transformed, how to have a changed life, how to become a better person, a happier, more at peace, more self-controlled, and consequently, more successful person, someone who, who enjoys richer, deeper, more satisfying relationships. This isn't legalism, and it's not some oppressive, guilt-generating religious exercise. No, this is about growing into the person you've always wanted to become. This is how you do it. You learn to think about how you think you you learn to think about your thinking and in doing so you learn to think differently and you make it a habit so that this becomes normalized for you it's really the only way we really we change 
to really become a better person. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're transformed by changing the way you think. God is transforming you. Make no you know, mistake about that. God, it's God's power that transforms you. But he needs your permission and he needs your cooperation. See, God is transforming you into a being that is continually, moment by moment, day, day by day, operating in love. In fact, we've talked about this in pre previous sermon series. Your default state as a human being is love. When God created you, he created you so that your default mode of operation, body, soul, mind, and spirit, would be love. You are wired for love. And you are therefore functioning optimally when your actions and your behavior are all flowing from a place of love. When you are operating in love and you are operating in the real you, the you that God created you to be, and consequently you experience shalom, which is peace. It's a peace that's infused with joy, which allows you to live in this world with great confidence. This is what I meant when I said earlier that this is a package deal. See, when you live in love, all kinds of other stuff come with it. When, when you live in and operate in love, you also live in and experience peace and joy and contentment and courage and all the virtues. And when you read what Jesus said, and when you read what other writers in the New Testament wrote, it is abundantly clear that you and I can actually live in and experience those things, love, joy, peace, confidence, even when the world around us may be a chaotic, dysfunctional, horrific mess. It's true. Paul said, he said in his letter to the to Christians living in Rome, he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? How about persecution? Will that separate us from the love of Christ? Will that negate Christ's love and his, the effect of his love in our lives, in our minds and thinkings? How about famine? What about nakedness or danger or even violence against it or sword? He says, no, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors. Not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He goes on, for I am convinced that not even death, nor life, neither angels nor demons, not the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. He's, he's reaching for anything to help us understand that when you have the love of Christ in you, you are as secure as you can be. Anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we are growing into. This is how we are being transformed. We are being transformed into the state of love we were created to live in continually. And when our thoughts and our attitudes, our behavior, our reactions and responses come from that place of love within us, we are fully alive and we are fully who we were created to be. This is the result, the outcome that, that happens when we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We are changed. We are transformed in all the right ways. But when we just run on autopilot and we don't capture our thoughts, 
when we allow fear and anger and hostility and resentment and rage and irritability, when we yield our minds, our thinking, our emotions to those things, not capturing them, or even worse, when we justify and even normalize those thoughts and feelings without even thinking about them, we put our minds, we put our bodies, our whole selves into a very toxic, destructive state, ultimately locking ourselves in a prison of our own making. So here's what we must train ourselves to do. And this really is very simple, though not necessarily easy. It's certainly not automatic. In fact, it's initially it's very the opposite of automatic. This is something that must be quite intentional, but can become in time a habit that results in glorious transformation in our lives. We must train ourselves to recognize toxic thoughts, feelings, and behaviors moment by moment, every single day, throughout the day, to recognize them and capture them and not just give them free reign into, our, into, into the rest of our being. We must learn to recognize toxic thoughts, feelings, behaviors. Any toxic thought, feeling, behavior. When you feel angry or bitter, that quickly becomes very toxic. When you feel annoyed, when you feel threatened, when you feel resentment, when you feel hostile or even anxious, when you feel hate, when you feel like getting even. Actually, when you think, feel, do, or say anything that runs contrary to love, it can quickly become toxic. Siri is trying to answer a question I never asked. Sorry. Um, now, now, for some of you, I mean, we must, we must train ourselves to capture those thoughts when they happen, to capture them and not let them just take over. And for some of you, this, this may mean that you're going to take, be taking captive and examining virtually every thought you have all day long because you've just allowed your mind and emotions to become so completely dominated by these kinds of thoughts and feelings for so long that, that it's just automatic for you. But if it means you have to examine every thought all day long, so be it. So be it. I think there's been a time in my life where I basically had to do that, and it's a lot of work, but it's well worth it. See, there's no other way to change. Otherwise, you remain captive to those toxic thoughts and feelings. And God will help you. God <laughs> will help you. He is the one who empowers you and enables you. You just need to cooperate with him. See, he's on your side. He will empower you little by little, moment by moment. But you must make the choice to do this. You must take all those toxic thoughts captive. Now, for most of you, you don't have toxic thoughts all day long. So it's just a matter of training yourself to recognize when a toxic thought comes into your mind. Usually something or someone triggers it. Someone is disrespectful to you. Someone does something hurtful. Somebody is rude to you or maybe far worse than rude. That they are downright cruel and treated you very unfairly. And you feel those toxic feelings and toxic thoughts beginning to flood your mind. You simply capture those. You take those thoughts and feelings captive. Then you examine those thoughts thoroughly. 
right now, I just want to punch so-and-so, but will that actually improve anything? It might make me feel better in the moment, but it will, will it really solve anything? Nah, probably not. It'll probably make things worse. Chances are they're only going to want to punch me back. Maybe if I respond to their insult with kindness, it might actually open up a new possibility on many different levels. Besides, maybe they were being insulting because they themselves are dealing with some sort of hurt or pain in their own lives. What would Jesus do? Capture those thoughts, don't allow them to run freely, and make them obedient to Christ. Make them submit to Christ. You think about what you're thinking about, and you hold that thought or feeling up to the Word of God. What does God's Word say? God's word says, love your enemies. No, but see, Jim, you don't understand. They did it on purpose. They were out to, they did it on purpose. Okay, what does God's word say to do to someone who harms you intentionally, purposefully? It says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Somebody slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Paul says, Peter actually says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. But Jim, they're ruining, they're ruining, they're really making things bad for you. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Can hardship, persecution, violence even? Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. When it comes right down to it, that's all that really matters. This is so powerful, so powerful. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I didn't finish reading that. Instead, pray for them. Uh, don't, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, instead pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Put it in God's hands. Listen, nobody can do anything to you without God's permission. Put it in God's hands and, un and try to learn what it is that Jesus is trying to teach you in that moment, and you can count on him to pay you back with a blessing. Several years ago, Juan and Sri Diaz and their kids loaded a U-Haul trailer with all of their camping equipment, bikes, camp stoves, fishing gear, clothes. They loaded their U-Haul uh, with, with all their stuff and set out for a vacation in Yosemite. The first day, they got as far as Fresno and then decided to get a hotel for the night. Overnight, someone stole their trailer, the whole trailer, with all their stuff inside. You can imagine the shock and disappointment the whole family experienced the next day. Probably $10,000 worth of, of their belongings. The kids were very, very young at the time, and their bikes, all their toys, camping and fishing gear, tents, everything gone, stolen. Of course, they called the police. It was too late. Later that day, the police found the trailer, but it was completely empty, all their stuff gone. Now, I don't know how you would respond in that situation. I, I don't even know how I would respond in that situation. I know I'd be very, very tempted to give, my, give into feelings of outrage and anger and irritate thoughts of finding these crooks who took our stuff and doing unmentionable things to them. I'd be tempted to lash out at hotel security for having such lax security that someone could actually come into 
onto your property and successfully make off with a huge trailer in the middle of the night without being noticed or caught? What kind of hotel security you got here anyway? You know, I'd be tempted to lash out at the police who are not competent enough to track down these thieves, even with, when security camera footage showed clearly their images and their vehicles and all that, and they couldn't even find them. I'd be tempted to lash out the ho other hotel guests who somebody should have noticed something. Nobody saw anything that could help us here. And of course, I'd be very tempted to think that now our entire vacation has been completely ruined. There's no point of going now. Let's just turn around and go back home and sulk. I, ho I would hope I wouldn't respond that way. I honestly don't know. But let me tell you how Juan Diaz, who was our, uh, our on staff at our church here, uh, is responsible for set up and tear down and leads some ministries. And let me tell you how Juan responded. After no notifying the hotel and, of course, calling the police and doing all the logical things you would do in that situation, instead of lashing out at anyone, or lashing out at each other, which is often what happened. You were supposed to have the truth. No, you were supposed to. Well, why didn't you do this? Instead of lashing out at anyone, instead of blaming each other, he called his family together and he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the people who took our things. Because they may have taken all of our belongings, but what they really need, something that we still have, and is something that no one can ever take away from us. We're going to pray for them that they could have what we have, and that is the love of Jesus. We're going to pray for them, and we're going to forgive them, and we're going to ask God to save and rescue them and fill them with his love and forgiveness because they are obviously in a dark place. And then we're going to, when we're done praying for them, we're going to go have a wonderful vacation, probably a little different vacation than we were planning on, but maybe even a better vacation. And that's just what they did. And that is, the, that is a memory that every one of their kids cherishes to this day and will for the rest of their lives. It was the love choice. And the decision to think about their situation and see their situation differently and to be happy and at peace despite the evil they suffered. And wouldn't you know that some, some people actually came forward and helped them. Uh, I don't remember all the details. Juan is sitting back there in the back. But somebody gave them camping equipment. Another person brought over sleeping bags and all kinds of stuff. And somebody just, they didn't go looking for it. These were people that just heard of their plight and wanted to help. They chose, they made the love choice. And God blessed them. And they now have a memory that's far better than just a simple camping memory like everybody else has. That was seizing an opportunity to be transformed. And dear Heavenly Father, may you help us make similar choices in the many opportunities that we encounter every single day. Big opportunities, but even especially the small opportunities that seem to come at us continually throughout our day. Give us the wisdom and the clarity to seize those thoughts as they begin to happen and begin to recognize that's a toxic thought, that's a, that's a resentful thought, that's, that's a, not a loving thought. Capture that thought and then begin to bring it before you and analyze it and ask for you, God, how, how, 
How should I process this event, this circumstance? How should I process these feelings? What would you have me do? We take those things and we make them obedient to Christ. Again, not as a religious exercise that's wrought with legalism, but as an, uh, an opportunity that we can seize to be transformed into better people, happier people, people more filled with joy, people that reflect your glory and light. Lord, we all have so much work to do in this area. Thank you for your grace, your compassion. Thank you that you love us, even though we fail on this probably many times a day. But God, help us to every time we fail to pick ourselves back up, come back to you and say, send me another opportunity, God. Send me another opportunity to be changed, to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.